Well, good morning, church. We, I am so thankful to be here. Man, y'all have no idea just how well you guys have partnered with us and we hadn't even gone. So, for y'all who don't know me, my name is Moose. Uh, for my grandma that's watching, it's JC. Um, I am a church planner in training. Uh, Lord will and the creek don't rise. Me and my wife, Tara, will be heading to Colorado come October-ish with our son, Gideon, who's about a year and a half. We're just so excited to see what the Lord's going to do up there, and we're so ex- excited to see how First Baptist is going to partner with us along, along the way. So that's enough about me. Let's just dive right into the Word. So we're going to pick up where Ethan left off in 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to cover 10 through 15. Um, as you're flipping there, or some of you are maybe swiping there, I just want to ask you a question. What motivates you? What is the thing that gets you out of bed? What is the thing that gets you through that 2 p.m. slump at work where coffee's not really cutting it? Is it money? Status? Maybe just the feeling of a good hard day's work? Well, the truth is, motivation is a lot like the rudder of a boat. If you change it, you can really change if we could change our motivations, we can really change everything. In fact, the only difference between how Paul was able to be positive while under great pressure and persecution and how we struggle in similar ways, similar stresses, is Paul had a more God-honoring motivation. So today, we're just going to walk through Scripture and see what we can learn and see maybe how we can imitate Paul a little bit as he imitates Christ. So, I won't have to give you a whole lot of context. I think Ethan probably did a pretty good job of that. Just real quick, these first nine verses uh, really speaks on the temporary broken nature of our current bodies, uh, talks about the Holy Spirit and preparation of the final judgment. And that's really where we're going to pick up. So, I'd like to read the full section of what we're going to be covering today, and then we'll break it apart a little piece by piece. So, starting in verse 10, I'll read. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. There's a little section here that really should be in parentheses. Um, We just don't have time to cover it today, so we're going to jump down to 14. Um, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So, we see here in verse 10, Paul is really focused on the future. As he's going through being in prison, being shipwrecked, being sick from all of his travels, he is focused on the future. He's focused on Christ, and more specifically, the coming judgment of Christ that every single one of us will face. Every single one of us will stand before the throne. And this is how Paul approaches his ministry. Everything he does, he knows the judgment is coming. He knows every single action, whether good or bad, whether he's you know, seeing a hundred people come to salvation or he's doing something he ought not do, he knows that he will be held accountable for those actions. 
He knows that there will be, um, be an account, be a time where he is faced with everything he's done. Um, and that leads right into verse 11. Therefore, you know, knowing all these things that we just covered, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So knowing the judgment is coming, first gives Paul fear, fear of the Lord. Why? Because he knows just how powerful God is. He knows just where he stands in relation to this powerful God. Without Christ, we would stand before him broken and condemned and hopeless. But thankfully, as we'll see in verses 14 and 15, there is hope. And that's what propels him to persuade others. And so what is he persuading others of? What is he saying to them? He's not trying to give them an extended warranty on their car. Um, but rather, he is persuading them of the gospel. He's persuading them of the love of God, as we'll see later, that without the salvation of Jesus, they're condemned. And we see that this gives Paul such an urgency in everything he does. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. There's urgency. And let's keep going. So he understands that all mankind is condemned. He understands that the judgment is coming, whether we're ready for it or not. And he understands that the only thing that helps us escape this condemnation is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so, let's keep going and let's stick to the Word. So, let's look at verses 14 and 15. And I'm going to reread it um, just so we can be focused on it. So, for the love of Christ controls us. Your translation may say compel us. That's the more uh, common one. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So, this is what, this is what Paul is persuading others of. This is the gospel laid out very simply, that one has died. Who is that? Jesus Christ. He has died for all, and that all have died. All who put their faith in him have died so that they may live in a new life. And we're going to pick that apart a little bit. But we see that this is, this is what he's so urgent about. This is the message he's trying to get out. And we see that there's two motivations at work here in Paul. We see that Paul both has a fear of the Lord. He understands the power of God. But he also understands the love of God in propelling him to tell people just what Jesus Christ has done. We see that he understands that only through Christ he can do these things. We see that it is the love of Christ. I love the wording of the love of Christ controls us or maybe compels, but I really, the ESV says controls. And it's, it's so much more than simply it makes me feel like doing this but he is consumed by the love of Christ. It's all that he can do to share with people, to persuade, because he is controlled. He is uh, a slave to righteousness, as it says in Romans. You know, I, he, he understands that he is 
crucified with Christ. He understands what that means and that he lives a life for Christ now. He understands that the death that Christ died was, yes, an example for him, an example of how to live sacrificially for God and for others, but he also understands that this death of Christ provides the very means that he can live that example out. It is the love that Christ showed us. So, now we have just a little bit better understanding of these scriptures. I know we're sprinting through it. Um, there's, there's so much truth in here, and we're going to cover three points today, I and mean, we could take all day, and we can get up to 200 points, I'm sure, but I'm sure you guys want to eat eventually. Um, I'll, I'll try not to be as long-winded as Noel. Um, I'm sure he's going to watch this later. I'm going to get in trouble. Um, but we're going to have three main points. So the first one, Christ expresses love, not as sentiment, but as sacrifice. So what does that mean? So he didn't simply come to earth and walk around and say, man, I love you guys. I just love y'all and then walk off. But he showed it, namely in the death, burial, and resurrection. He showed his love for us by taking on my sin, by saving me. He showed his love that I would be someone who was in open rebellion against him, essentially spitting in his face, and yet he still saved me. We understand that those actions truly show what that love is, and it gives the weight of the love. To put it simply, Jesus didn't just talk the talk, but he walked the walk. We understand his love because we see what he did. And we see that today. You know, with any family member, you know, you know, if I told my wife, man, I love you, but then I don't spend any time with her, or I don't, you know, I just say, hey, take care of the house and everything, and I'm just going to sit and do nothing. That's not really showing my love, but if I have action, if I, you know, take the trash out without her asking, and things like that, and, you know, it's kind of weird to compare those two things, you know, compare the gospel to that, but, um, but there's action. It gives weight, and I, I really love... Romans 5.8 really just says it plainly, and I love it just getting down to brass tacks. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What did he do? He showed his love for us this way. He died for us. That even while we were in open rebellion against him, he died for us. That's truly incredible. So, we see that his actions back up his words. So, what do we learn from that? What what do we understand from Christ's love? And that leads us to the second point. Christ's love reminds us of the death of our own flesh on the cross. And we see this in verse 14 where it says, therefore all have died. Um, that's us as believers. And I, I want to take a quick side note that it says this. I don't want you to get confused to say that all are saved. That er, therefore all have, he's died for all. He did die for all of us but we have to accept him as our savior. And I, I, we don't have time to get too deep into that, but I don't want you to miss that. Um, but he, he died for us. He stood in our place. And what does that mean? I think Galatians 2.20 really says it best. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So just a quick example using my own life. 
when I became a believer, every wrong that I've ever done, every person I've hurt, everything I've, every, you know, act of blasphemy, when I gave my life to the Lord, every sin from then until the end of my days here on earth was hung on that cross with my Savior. And I was, my sinful nature was crucified with my Savior. As Jackson or KP are probably going to get to next week, um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin because it was all of our sin laid on him. And it was killed on the cross. And that should be encouraging, that every wrong that we've ever done was put in that tomb and is dead, is buried. And thankfully, it didn't stop there. Thankfully, our Savior isn't still laying in the tomb but he is alive. And that brings us to our third point, that Christ's love reminds us of the resurrection of our spirits. Just as we were crucified with Christ, we were raised with Christ. And we see that in verse 15 of our our main text of, you know, for our sake he died and was raised. We see that we are new creations because, like I said, not only were we crucified with him, but we were raised with him. And this is important. The resurrection is the linchpin of our faith. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about without the resurrection, we should be pitied among all. And we are counted as fools if we do not have the resurrection. Without the resurrection, our Savior is still in the tomb, and we are still dead in our sin. But he is risen from the grave, and thankfully with that he is resurrected us. We're no longer dead men walking. We have been given a new spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit. And with that, we have the ability to live a life that's pleasing to him, just as Paul is seeking out there in verse 9 of chapter 5, that it gives him the ability. We have the example, and now we have the ability as believers through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, I want to leave this point off with this passage because, once again, Paul in other letters just says it well, and he can say it much better than I. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We have newness of life as believers. We've been resurrected, and we can serve our Savior out of a recognition of his love. And I want you to understand that all of our actions, all of our motivations should be put onto Christ and who he is, put on the truth of who he is. And this is really what brings us to, you know, kind of how does this affect us today? You know, this is all, you know, I've heard the death, burial, and resurrection a million times and say it every Sunday. What does it mean? Well, with it, we can live a life that is pleasing to God because we have a spirit, because we have been made righteous through Jesus. And I I love here in verse 14, let's jump back down to it, uh, verse 14 in chapter 5, 
there's this little section that I think is so important that we can gloss over. Um, it says this, that for the love of Christ controls us, and here's the section that I want you to see. Because we have concluded this. This is huge. Why does the love of Christ control us? Because of the truth of who Christ is and what he has done. It's not anything on us. It's solely on who he is. And it, he, Paul has come to this conclusion, and he has staked his life on it. And as believers, if we want to have a better motivation, this is it. We must stake our life on who Christ is, set our focus on who Christ is. Not, man, I just need five simple steps to pray better, or I just need five simple steps to be a better Christian. It, it's not hard. It, it is simple as reading and praying. And I know sometimes like, oh, we say that at the end of every, you know, it's so much a Sunday school answer just as, oh, Jesus. But that's it. We steep ourselves in the truth of who Christ is and the truth of who, what he has done for us, that without that, what does Christ's love mean if we don't have the truth of, the truth of it? If we don't understand that he died a death that we should have died, that he rose from the grave giving us new life, if we don't understand that, what does Christ's love mean? It's meaningless without the truth behind it. And so I want to challenge you guys today that I just want you to think, are you taking time daily to be steeped in the truth of who God is? Are you taking time in prayer and time in Scripture? And then because of this, because you know who God is and how good He is to us, are you seeking out ways to serve Him? Are you seeking out ways to advance His kingdom? Are you serving here? You don't, we got a million different ways you can serve here at First Baptist, and you don't have to be a Bible scholar to do it. So we would, we'd love to have you if, if you're interested in that. We just, I would love for you to come talk to me or any of the staff members. But I just want you to really sit in the truth of who Christ is. And so with that, let's just continue in worship. I'll end us with some prayer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for giving us a chance to dive into your word together. As a family of believers, Lord, I pray that um, we just take this word and that we don't only become hearers of your word, but Lord, help us be doers of your word. Help us understand the gospel more and more each day. Um, Lord, you are so good and merciful to us, and we love you, and we praise you. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.